Today I want to talk to you guys about choices. How many of you have ever seen the movie Limity Snicket Series of Unfortunate Events? A couple of you? So the premise of this movie is there's this family of three kids right there and all these really unfortunate events kind of just keep happening. So one thing would happen and they'd kind of get through it and then something else would happen and they'd get through it and then something else would happen. And it's this big cascading event that happens, all these unfortunate events. And I was thinking about today's message on choices And I thought, man, I could really take the title of this movie and change it a little bit, and it could fit seasons of my life. Like this. I could say Tim Gillio's series of unfortunate decisions, right? Because there are times in my life, there are times in my life where I've made a series of unfortunate decisions that lead me from one place where I wanted to be to another place where I had no intention of being at all. And then there are times in my life where I could say Tim Gillio's series of fortunate events, events, your fortunate choices, because things happen and I'm in one place where I don't want to be. And I make purpose decisions and choices in my life to go from a place where I didn't want to be. And I find myself in a place where I really want to be. The truth is life is simply a string of decisions or choices all put together. How many of you guys would say I have made no decisions today? Anyone? You should probably keep your hand down, most of you, because you probably, you probably chose what you were going to wear, right? You chose what shirt you were going to wear, uh, what pants you were going to wear, or if you were wearing a skirt or a dress, you chose that. You chose whether you were going to brush your teeth before you came to church. Uh, some of you guys chose if you were going to get up, and some of you, your parents helped you make that decision to get up. And like me, I chose to get up last night. I set my alarm for this morning. Actually, my alarm... This is, you can look at me and think whatever you want. My alarm is set for 540 every day of the week. I just never turn off my alarm. And this is why, this totally has nothing to do with what I'm talking to you about today, but this is why. As humans, and especially me, we are very much creatures of habit. And I've found that if I set my alarm for a consistent time for a long period of time, my body will want to wake up at that time. Unless I make a choice, right, to stay up till 11.45 watching Michigan State pull through on number seven, Oregon, and come, come with the win. But, but really, life is a, a string of choices put together. Uh, Andy Andrews, who's a great author, he wrote a book called The Seven Decisions. And in his book, he, he says it this way. He says, your whole life is nothing more than a canvas of choices. Everyone say canvas. I mean, everyone say canvas. Of choices. (laughs) Canvas of choices. Today's message is called a canvas of choices. And if you're taking notes, which I would highly encourage you to do. And the reason is you forget about 85% of what I talk about by the time you reach your parents' car. But if you take notes, it goes up a little bit. Like maybe only you forget only 80%. So, uh, but then you can look at them later. But anyways, if you're taking notes on your Apple device or if you've upgraded to Android... Go ahead and take notes on there. Uh, or if you've, you've got pen and paper. Anyone got tablet, stone tablet where they can chisel into? That'd be cool. Go ahead. Uh, today's message is a canvas of choices. And point number one is this. Choices gone wrong. Choices gone wrong. How many of you guys have ever heard of King David? He's a pretty popular dude in the Bible. Most people have at least heard 
of King David. They may not know anything about him, but they may be heard of King David. Well, if you look in the Bible at how God sums up King David, he says King David was a man after God's own heart. That's how God summarizes the life of King David. A man after God's own heart. The really funny thing is, if you actually look at King David, he's got moments in his life where everything is going great. It's like mountaintop experience. Have you guys ever been on, who's been on a mountaintop before? Mountaintops are majestic because you look and you can see so much. And really, it kind of puts you in a place where you can really experience God in a, in a way by just seeing his creation. Well, well David's got mountaintops experience mountaintop experiences. I mean, everything in his life is going great. He's got those experiences, but he also has what's called a valley experience, right? A valley is where things are a little bit more difficult, where things are a little bit more hard to experience. So you've got mountaintop experiences and you've got valley experiences in King David's life. Well, I want to talk to you guys about a string of choices that King David made that led him from a mountaintop to a valley. It was one choice after another choice after another choice that when looking at themselves, when looking at themselves may seem very simple, but they led him from a place where he wanted to be on a mountaintop into a place where he didn't want to be in a valley. So if you got your Bibles or electronic device with the Bible app you version on it or something like that, go ahead and open up to 2 Samuel chapter 11. This is the story of David and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba. So to start out this story, David is going good. His life is going good. His kingdom, he is the second king of Israel. His kingdom is blessed and things are going very well for him. And a classic characteristic of the nation of Israel has always been, I guess in the past, has always was when things were going well, they would tend to get relaxed and take their focus off from God. Kind of like yesterday when you were watching the Michigan State football game and you lean back in your lazy boy, put your feet up, grab the clicker, the box of popcorn, and things just kind of happened, right? Israel kind of has a tendency when things are going well to kind of wander from their faith. So right now, David, things are going super well for him. And then starting out in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab. Everyone say, David sent. David sent Joab, just so you know who Joab is. Joab is King David's right-hand man. He's the guy that kind of leads the army. So we've got King David sending out Joab. Uh, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel out to battle. So they go out to battle, and it says, And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained at Jerusalem. Everyone say, David remained. David remains. So there's a second decision. He sends Joab out. Now he remains. He makes a decision, a choice to stay back. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when, uh, when David arose. Everyone say, David arose. Third choice. David arose from his couch or his bed. David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's palace. Say, say walking. David made a decision to go up on the roof of his palace. It says, then he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent, say David sent. David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, it's, uh, it's not this, 
it's well, basically, it's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So David sent, say David sent. I want you to pick up on all these decisions that David made. David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to the house and the woman conceived and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. So you've got David is sitting there. Everything's going well. And he makes a decision. The first decision is he sends Joab, right? He sends Joab. He sends his right-hand man out. So David sends Joab. The second decision is David remains, right? David remains in Jerusalem. He stays at his palace. Then the third decision is David arose from the couch. The fourth decision is David went to the roof of his palace. The fifth decision is he sent to figure out who that girl was. The sixth decision is he sends for the girl to be brought to him, right? So this is a string of unfortunate decisions. If you imagine that video movie cover, this is King David's series of unfortunate decisions, right? Because he's made one decision to send Joab, which is not a big deal. Another decision to stay in Jerusalem, again, not a big deal. A third decision to arise from the couch, not a big deal. Fourth decision, go up on the roof, that's fine. Fifth decision is to send to figure out who she is, right? Mm. He should have gotten that answer and should have been like, uh-uh, ain't going there, no way. But instead, he makes another decision. And if you follow this story out, she becomes pregnant, as we read. And David wants to cover it up. So he makes another decision and another decision and another decision and another decision. And eventually what ends up happening is David, to cover up a sin that he made in secret, actually has Uriah killed And Uriah is serving in David's army. Uriah is where David should be. But David, King David, makes a decision to have Uriah killed so that King David can cover up a sin that he has committed. And it's unfortunate decision after unfortunate decision after unfortunate decision. One choice led to another choice led to another choice inside of King David's life. Now, if you follow the story out, King David begins, he's confronted by a prophet and King David repents and he turns his heart towards God again. And he he continues to follow God. He feels uh, bad for the sin that he made. So, so he asked for forgiveness and, and everything ends up going well. That's why we know him as a man after God's own heart. But I could tell you that King David did not wake up one day and say, I'm going to kill Uriah the Hittite. No, he woke up one day and said, I'm going to make a small decision to send Joab. And then He made another decision and another small decision. And these decisions mounted on top of each other. And David commits adultery and commits murder to cover it up. And it's interesting to me. Because David did not plan on doing this. David did not have a forethought of, I'm going to commit adultery and kill somebody. But it ended up happening. It ended up happening because his choices went wrong. Everyone say predetermined. I mean, everybody say predetermined. Okay, let's do it one more time. And everybody say predetermined. Like you mean it. Come on. Predetermined. Another, another way to say predetermined is pre-choosing. 
Pre-choosing. Here's the thing. We have to make a decision to choose the way we're going to react to situations ahead of time so that we set ourselves up for success. I could come to each and every one of you, sit down face to face and have a conversation with you. And your life may be at one of those mountaintop moments where things are going well. You may, uh, things may be a little dark and you may be in a valley, but I can honestly sit across from you and I could look at you and I could say, God has the best in store for you. God wants good for you. God wants success for you. And if God wants success, we have to set ourselves up for success. If you're taking notes, write down, set up for success. Set up for success. We have to determine ahead of time what we're going to do if we want to set ourselves up. You see, there's a part that God plays in setting us up for success, but there's a part that we play in setting us up for success as well. If you look at King David, he did not set himself up for success. He was not ready to make the decisions that he had to make at the time or else he would have made them and that would not have happened. But God wants us to do what we can to set ourselves up for success and he wants to do what he can. How many of you guys have ever watched a boxing match or seen one on TV or saw a picture of one? I don't care what it is. How many of you guys know what boxing is? Everyone should put their hands up for that. Boxing is an interesting sport. Boxing takes preparation and practice. How crazy would it be if I was in a boxing match and I decide I'm going to be like the, I'm going to be the world's best boxer and, you know, come on, take on me. And I'm, I just grab some gloves and I jump into a ring with like heavyweight champion of the world kind of thing. Would it go well for me? Thank you. I would die. I would die. That's about... Why would I die? What have I not done? Practiced. I haven't practiced. I haven't put any preparation into getting myself ready. It's not like if I'm sitting in there with this heavyweight champion of the world and he goes to hit me, I can't grab out my universal remote, you know, push pause on him, and he freezes mid-strike. Mid, uh, and I go over there, and I look up in, the, in, in, in the, the boxing for dummies book, you know, right? I can't flip that thing open and say, when he's hitting me with, my right, with his right hand, I should duck. Okay, and then put the book down and then go back and tuck right back where I was, hit play and be like, I can't do that, right? I can't. There's, there's nothing I could do at that moment when I'm in the heat of the battle to get myself ready for it. I can't, when they're going to do an uppercut, push, pause and go, okay, uppercut. Move out of the way. You know, that's all I know of boxing. I don't really know much boxing. Uh, I can't do that. I can't do that. Yesterday in the Michigan State-Oregon game, or even in the Michigan-Oregon State game, the players couldn't, in the middle of the play, push pause, have everyone freeze, go look at their playbook, figure out what they're supposed to be doing, and then go back in and hit play. They can't do that, right? It's foolishness to think like that. It's, it's foolishness for us as humans to wait till we're in the heat of a battle or a game to get prepared for it. We would think that that's ridiculous. We would think that that's crazy. Several years ago, uh, anyone in here 15? 15 year olds? 15 year olds? Yeah. Where my 15 year olds at? You know, uh, when I was 15, you know, you get your license, right? You take driver's training. What do you get? What do you get? This little piece of paper that it's called a permit. Yeah. You guys, you got your permit? You got your permit? Not yet. Dude, come on. 
Get it, get it going. Come on. Okay, um, you get this little thing called a permit. What, what is a permit? What does it mean that I can do? I can drive, but who has to be with me? A parent has to be with me. A permit says that, that I could drive, but a parent has to be with me. The reason that a parent has to be with me is the state says, okay, you're safe enough to drive. However, you are not prepared enough to drive on your own, right? So the state says, before we let you get behind a several thousand pound vehicle and go hurling down a highway at 97 miles an hour, you shouldn't be going that fast anyways. But before you do that, you should at least spend a year practicing. Why do you spend time practicing? You spend time practicing, not for those expected moments, but for those unexpected moments, right? I remember several years ago, I was up hunting with my dad. I was up hunting with my dad. We have property north of Muskegon. So we're up there. We're hunting. We hunt the morning. We hunt the the evening. So it's probably about 730 at night. And we're, excuse me, we're, we're heading home. And I've got my permit. And I'm sitting in the driver's seat of my dad's vehicle. He's in the the passenger seat and we're growing, we're cruising down the highway. And I come up on a, a SMV. That's what I call them. Slow moving vehicle. You know, there's a slow vehicle in the right lane. So what does every awesome driver do? Blinker on, get over in the left lane, right? And you cruise past him. Well, as I'm getting ready to cruise past him, I'm, I'm, I'm obeying the law. I'm not breaking the law. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. But I'm cruising, I'm getting ready to cruise past him. And I'm kind of like, I'm right behind him. And, in the, and then I notice that we're coming up on, we're coming up on, uh, I guess will be a bridge over us and we're going to go underneath it. We're going under an overpass, right? And how many of you guys have seen those highways where those intersections where if you want to get on the highway and you're on the bridge, you got to, you know, turn and do the loop and then you get on right underneath the bridge. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I see on this bridge, this slow car and then this fast car come, come up behind them. And I notice that the fast car is getting a little agitated, like riding on the, the butt of the person around the, around the, the entrance ramp or whatever you want to call it. Well, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, with, with how we're at, you know, I, I had uh, grown up driving go-karts a lot and dirt bikes um, and some different things. And I had done a lot of work around my dad's shop when I was younger and I would actually move cars around and back them and park them in different places. And my grandparents lived on a private lake. So there were roads around my grandparents' lake that were, they were not actually roads, but they're, they look like roads, you know, where I could drive on them. And I had done some, some small driving. So I, I had experience with a car, you know. I had some experience with a car, so I knew how to handle it. And I was looking at this situation unfold in front of me. I'm driving. My dad's in the passenger seat. We're passing this SMV, slow-moving vehicle, and this guy's agitated coming on the highway. And I look at it, and I begin to just survey and analyze everything that's going on. And I'm thinking, okay. If that guy tries to cut over to pass the car that's on the highway already and the car that he's behind, if he, if he doesn't see me, he's literally going to come right over into me. And if that happens, there is a cement pillar coming up. And I really don't want to hit a cement pillar. Anyone want to hit a cement pillar? I don't want to hit a cement pillar. It doesn't sound nice. There are some things. No, I don't want to run into anything, especially cement pillar being on the top of the list of things I don't want to run into. So remember, I'm 15. So this guy comes whipping on the highway, and I don't know if he didn't see me or if he didn't look, didn't care. He just comes way over. Now, he doesn't know that it's a 15-year-old child or whatever, you know, behind the wheel of this vehicle. He's just 
He's got his own world going on and his world is not going right. So he's making some decisions. Funny, he's making some decisions. Anyways, um, I'm sitting there and, and I just like, I can't go over too far, but I just kind of like veer off. And you know how you hit the rumble strip? You know, and then you go past that and your, ro- your tire, remember 70 miles an hour. Tire starts hitting gravel, you know, but I can't go too far over. I'm going to hit that cement pillar and then, you know, wouldn't be cool. So I remember he comes flying on and I just kind of veer over and I'm on that just kind of momentary freak out. Do you guys ever have those like momentary freak out moments? Ah, you know, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm on it, I'm on it, I'm on it. I, I kind of let off the gas because I know if I slam on the brakes, my right tires are going to slide because they're on gravel and my left tires will catch. So that wouldn't be good. So I just kind of let off the gas and, and he goes flying up there and I get back on. And it felt probably like seven, eight minutes. It was probably only like 30 seconds, you know. My dad looks over at me, and he's just like, good job. He's like, you're going to be fine driving. And it's funny because the only reason that I could handle that situation was because of the things that I had put in place in my previous life experiences, you know, racing go-karts, doing all this stuff, knowing how a vehicle handles in general, knowing the size of the vehicle, Because of the things that I had done beforehand, I could handle the situation. Does that make sense? Because I had put things into my life, I could handle it. My father-in-law is a great example of being determined ahead of time. Because we have to be determined ahead of time if we want to set ourselves up for success. So my father-in-law... Several years ago, my, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, and my wife and her sister all moved into a, a little house. My in-laws still live there today. <laughs> but they moved into this little house, and just after they move into it, the basement's undone. You know, just kind of like two-by-fours every once in a while and not really usable for anything. So my, my father-in-law gets a brilliant idea, which, I mean, he did great, that he was going to finish the basement. He was going to... Gonna, Put, put drywall in, and he decides he doesn't want to just make it into a typical basement. He decides he's going to put like a, a second kitchen in, so there's a full kitchen down there. He decides he's going to put in this really nice bathroom and all this stuff. And he spends hours and hours and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars getting this all really, really nice. Well, just after he gets it really, really nice, they have one of those once-in-a-thousand-year rainstorms. You know, like the really, really big rain. Well, my in-laws didn't realize it quite at the time, but there's a little creek that's like a third of a mile down the road. And that little creek, if it overflows, it will actually spread over the whole area. Well, my father-in-law comes home to find water all over this brand new finished basement crazy, not a lot of water, just enough to do some damage. You guys know what I'm talking about? How many of you had water in the basement before? Water in the basement is the worst because there's the, there's the fact that everything's wet, but then there's the fact that you get the smell of mildew and you got to replace all the carpet. If there's carpet down there and you got to do all this work and you're not sure what's going on. (laughs) Well, my father-in-law, he sees the problem. He's like, okay, this really, really stinks. And he has to pull out carpet and they have to cut back drywall and let everything dry out. Remember, this is a brand new finished basement, like brand new finished. And he looks at the situation. He says, okay, there was a storm in my life that I was not prepared for. So my father-in-law decides that he's going to 
He's, he's really good at going a little overkill. Just saying it. He's really good. But anyways, he decides when he pulls out the carpet, he's going to put in what's called drainage tile in the basement. So he's like down there with a big saw, like cutting the basement floor apart. And he's putting in this drainage tile and putting gravel in there and then pouring concrete back in there. So now if the basement gets wet, it flows into these things called the drainage tile. And they're all sloped perfectly to work their way to this back corner of the basement. And in this back corner, un, in, down in the ground, there is a hole that's about 18 inches and several feet deep. And then what happens is whenever it rains, if any water tries to get in the basement, it hits this thing and it flows down to this little spot. And then they put this pump down in here. What do you guys think that pump is called? Sump pump a sump pump so they put this pump in here and this pump's got a little thing on it that like anytime water gets in there a little button tricks up trips up and then it sucks the water out and puts it outside because water is great when it's in a glass for drinking in a fish tank for fish to swim in or outside right it's great in those locations basement not so good right so he decides he's going to put in a sump pump but then he's thinking well what if that one sump pump fails I mean, the likelihood of a sump pump failing, pretty unlikely, right? Well, he decides instead of just one sump pump, a little bit above it, just in case, you know, you get a little bit more water in there, he's going to put another one. And if that one trips, so now you got two sending water out. And he's like, okay, we've got to be good. But then you never know if the power's going to go out, right? So my father-in-law puts in a third sump pump, a little higher than those two, that's a sump pump, but it's on what's called a battery backup. So if the water gets high enough to trip that one, it will suck water out. And if the power goes out, that one will continue to work while the other ones won't. <laughs> so he's got all this. And then, you know, just in case, just in case the power goes out, he rigged his whole house up where he can start his generator in the garage, open up the garage doors so the fumes go through, and he can plug his house into a generator. It's pretty epic. So in the event that a little rain comes, you got one sump pump. A little bit more rain, you got two sump pumps. A little bit more rain, you got three sump pumps. And then in the event that the power goes out, he can hook his house up to a generator. He knows now if it gets a lot of rain and the power goes out, he's got to get on that generator, getting it started so that, because that one sump pump might not be able to handle it all. So my father-in-law is set. Everyone say, He's set up for success, right? He's set up for success. He's prepared ahead of time so that he could be ready in the event that a storm comes. Now, remember, they've lived there for, Rach, how long have they lived in that house? Maybe sixth grade, so maybe 17 years, 17, 18 years. So they've lived there for probably 17 or 18 years. And when they first moved in, they had a 100-year storm, 100-year flood. Well, several years ago, it decided in the spring that the snow was going to melt. Who would have thought, right? The snow melted in the spring. Well, just when the snow melted in the spring, the world decided it was going to rain at the same time. And then while those two things happened in the little creek, several miles down the little creek, a nice log jammed in the creek. So what happens is the second 100-year flood happens. Remember, these floods are only supposed to happen once a 100 years. Now we've got two of them happening about 13 years apart. <laughs> the f- it, 
the snow melted, the rain came, right? And the floodwaters rose so much so that I've got pictures on my phone of a boat tied to their mailbox. Okay, let's just pause for a second. A boat tied to their mailbox. Where are mailboxes generally located? Next to the road. Why? Because I don't want to say anything about our post office, but they can't get out of their vehicles and walk them up to the house. So anyways, the road, what I'm saying, I'm trying to get you to picture this in your mind. Just picture the road has become a lake. The road has become a lake. You can't see the road anymore. What they have actually brought boats in to do is the floodwaters are so high and they came so fast that there are people trapped down the street in their houses, literally Basements completely underwater, first floor got water in it, that much water going on. And they are literally boating people out of their houses. I'm not exaggerating. This is what happened. It's so bad that they had to rip houses down because there's no way they could be salvaged. And the city decided that it's so likely that this is going to happen again, that they aren't even going to allow people to build houses where those houses once were. They have just since put grass in because there's no reason to have these houses there. So imagine my dad standing right out in front of his house. I'm with him. We have hence driven his truck down to high ground. You know, it's kind of like Noah get on high ground. Um, We're standing in front of his house watching water come up the driveway. Literally, water's coming up the driveway. And we're like, no in Jesus' name, you know. And and crazy enough, it stopped when we said that. But the crazy thing is, if you look at the houses around my father-in-law, they all had devastation in their basements. All of them. My father-in-law, the only reason he got an inch of water in his basement, which made him have to replace some carpet, The only reason he had water in his basement was because consumer's energy cut the power because you got electrical lines running into deep water. Not a good idea. So they cut the power. They turned it off. And my father-in-law had a little bit of trouble getting his generator started. But once he got it started, all the water came out of the basement. They had to take up the carpet, let it dry, put some new carpet down. But that was all he had. And you look, they were pumping water out of basements for weeks over there. And my father-in-law could withstand the storm because he made a decision beforehand. Do you think my father-in-law could have ran and grabbed a concrete saw, cut the floor apart, put drain tile in, put in a sump pump and another sump pump and another sump pump? Could he have done that when the floodwater started rising? No, because you have to do things to get through a storm before the storm actually comes, right? You have to get ready. If you want to set yourself up for success, you have to be determined ahead of time how you are going to react. So this is what I want to do. I want to take and look at two things that the Bible says, two action plans that the Bible says, and then I want us to ask ourselves how we apply that into our life. So Matthew 6.33, Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be 
given to you as well. What's the action here? But seek. What's the action? Seeking. When I say, what's the action? Everyone say seeking. What's the action? Seeking. The Bible tells us that we have to seek. Seeking is an action plan. It's not something that happens by chance, but it's being determined to seek first the kingdom of God. All right. Jesus is talking to some people and a guy comes up to him and this is what the guy says. It says, and one of them, a lawyer, this is Matthew 22, 35 through 40. It says, and one of them, a lawyer asks him a question to test him. So this guy's trying to test God, trying to test Jesus, probably not a good plan. He says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he, that's Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Okay, so what's the action here? There's one action. We are to love God. God says that we are to love him. The action here is to love him. We love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And if you look in some other places, it says strength. We are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we have two actions here. Seeking first the kingdom of God. And we have loving God. Now, this is just two things that the Bible sets up for us to do. But the question is, for me, when we read this, is how? How do we do that? Honestly, so often I can read these, and I'm sure you can too, and we sit here in sermons, and we hear messages taught on loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we hear messages taught on seeking first the kingdom of God, And we could say, yes, that is awesome. But what does it mean? What does it mean to love God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind? How do I do that? How do I do that? How do I seek first the kingdom of God? That sounds really, really good. But how? So an easy thing that we can do, if we look at loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, if we, if we look at that, we could say, well, God, what does that mean for me? This would be you asking yourself, God, what does that mean for me tomorrow when I'm getting ready for school? What does that mean for me tomorrow when I'm getting ready for school? What does that mean for me tomorrow when I'm picking out what I should wear to school? What does that mean? What does that mean for me tomorrow when I'm getting ready to eat lunch and I see someone else being picked on because they don't have the right hairstyle? What does that mean? What does it mean to love God when I'm sitting in science class tomorrow and we have our first quiz and I don't know the answer? What does that mean to love God when after school on Tuesday, my friends invite me over to their house and I go over there and they're watching a movie that maybe I shouldn't watch? 
What does it mean to love God? You see, what we got to do is we got to start ahead of time. We've got to start putting ourselves mentally in situations so that we can be determined how we're going to react when those situations come. Because David did not wake up one day saying, I'm going to kill Uriah the Hittite. No, he woke up one day and said, I'm going to hang out in my palace on my roof. And when he saw a beautiful girl bathing, he decided to make a choice to figure out who she was. And when he found out she was married, he decided to invite her over to his house. And who's going to deny the king? And when he found out she was pregnant, he decided to go to killing somebody so that he could cover up his own mistakes. It was not that one day he woke up saying, I'm going to do this horrible thing. No, it was King David's series of unfortunate choices. So what we've got to do is we've got to look at verses in the Bible and we've got to say, God, how do I get ready before a storm comes to apply that to my life? So here's a good one for you. How many of you guys have smart devices? iPhone, Android, something like that. How many of you guys have access to a computer? What does it mean? Ready for this? What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind when you're surfing that computer and no one's around? What does it mean to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind? When you're trying to do the right thing, maybe you're doing search research for a school project and something pops up on that screen that's completely evil. Images you shouldn't look at. What does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength when you hear people gossiping and you want to join in? It's a simple question, but it's super hard. We've got to be ready before the storm comes, before the moment of choice comes. We've got to get ourselves ready or else we're going to be like the boxer that wishes he could push pause and go look at boxing for dummies to get the answer. I can't tell you how many times I've had people come to me and ask me to walk them through a situation. I have done, I have, I have walked people through the death of a young child and watching that family go through it without them having put things into their life that would help them get through. They were in the midst of a storm wishing they could reverse time so that they could get ready. So this is my question for you. This is my challenge for you. Are you preparing yourselves for the choices that you're going to have to make? Do you know that Jesus actually said, he said to his disciples, people will hate you because you follow me. There are people sitting in here that when they made a choice to do something for God, their friends have abandoned them. There are people sitting in here when they made a choice to follow God and do what God says that people have mocked them and beat them verbally or physically. So my question for you is what are you doing to prepare for storms and get ready for what you're going to have to? What are you doing? Are you being predetermined 
Are you setting yourselves up for success in your relationship with God? There's a pretty common quote that's kind of floating around saying everyone is either in a storm, just coming out of a storm, or about to go into a storm. And what's going to set you up for success is not what you do during it, but what you do before it. So you have to do what you can now to set yourselves up to succeed when the floodwaters start rising.